0: Hi, thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, and you're listening to Sermons at High Peak. Bill Yancey is uh, one of, I think, our treasures in the Christian faith these days. And uh, he wrote a book called, Where is God When It Hurts? And in that book, he tells the story of an Olympic pole vaulter from the 1960s named Brian Sternberg. He was a 19-year-old pole vaulter and considered the best in his day. Uh, In 1963, he, uh, in this pole vault, reached a world record status before the Olympics in 1964 even started. And then, three weeks after that record-breaking moment, he was injured. And his injury ended up keeping him paralyzed than in a wheelchair he had a fall landed on his neck he heard the crack and in that moment he knew that chances are his life would be different forever his arms and his legs did not function anymore now as a believer he had faith he said that in that moment his faith was tested like it had never been tested before And he began to pray and ask lord would my spine heal would the feeling come back to my legs and my arms would i be able to even walk again let alone jump over a bar almost 30 feet in the air but he struggled he prayed he struggled some more he believed but he continued to struggle and it left him in the wheelchair for years he was certain Uh, that God could heal him, but he also didn't assume he would heal him. Did his faith fail him? He wasn't healed. He prayed to be healed. Was his faith a failure? Absolutely not. And he was convinced of that. You see, we face challenges like a man like Brian Sternberg. Uh, We maybe don't have to face the kind of challenge he had to face. I'm fortunate I've generally been healthy, not perfectly healthy, but I've been healthy most of my life. Some of you say, well, I haven't been, but you know, I don't know. Would you trade your health problem for a wheelchair? Not very many people probably would. But the fact is, we all face our version of a crisis. In the middle of your life, the things that you are going through, they feel like the world is ending in that moment. That's the emotion that we feel. That's the temptation that grabs hold of us and grips our faith. We say, Is there ever going to be anything better after this moment? You might be facing one of those kinds of things. I know some of you. Maybe struggling with you know, financial struggles, especially in the midst of the shutdown and all that's happened. I know of people who have lost their jobs, lost their businesses, lost their careers. I know some of you are, are struggling in such a way that uh, you're not sure about your health, how much longer you have. Uh, your children growing up, and it seems like some of them are, are throwing away that wonderful faith that you taught them as you brought them up in the Word when they were younger. Will they ever come home? You know, these are all the kinds of struggles that we face. Marriage problems, family problems, work problems, all of it. And as you go through it, it feels like your world is turned upside down. And then we look at our whole world and we say, we may be on the brink of a change that we've not been expecting in this country for a long time. Could things change so drastically in this nation that within just a few short years, uh, those religious freedoms that we thought were uh, ensured by our Constitution's First Amendment, uh, could they be eventually stripped away from us? After all, the Soviet Union officially had freedom of religion. And yet there was absolutely no freedom of religion there. Thinking about those Soviet Union days, I remember reading a story about uh, an incident where back when Joseph Stalin was the the supreme leader of of the Communist Party there. And they were having a meeting in a region outside of the capital of Moscow, and someone mentioned the name Joseph Stalin. And, of course, everybody immediately stood up and started to applaud, some of them with great zeal and excitement, others thinking, oh, I better applaud, because I don't want them to find out that I'm not a supporter And then they'll come after me or my family. But then they had a problem. People just kept standing and they just kept applauding. And as they kept standing and they kept applauding, folks started to look around at one another and said, who's going to be the first one to quit applauding and sit down? If I do, will they come get my name and wonder and question my loyalty to the party? Finally, an elderly man couldn't handle it anymore. He was too weak. He had been standing for minutes and he could barely stand at all. He had been applauding violently for minutes and he was struggling. And so finally he just had nothing left. And so he sat down. And as you can expect, they went and found his name, found out where he lived, and he was never seen again after that. And you look at that and you think, could we ever face something like that in this nation? I don't know. I hope not. I pray not. But we see little inklings of Politics trying to rob our freedoms away. Will we ever face a point like that story of Joseph Stalin? Or will we ever face something like these three young Hebrew men from Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3 is the passage we'll look at today. We've been going through this book the last couple of weeks and uh, I want to look at it again. Just a little background, the first chapter talks about how the people were taken captive Uh, in about 605 B.C. They were taken off to Babylon, and while they were there, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of were swept up. They were young, good-looking, healthy, and they said, we need people like this to serve in our government. And so you guys are going to be a part of a, a group of candidates. And if you go through some tests and if you succeed, then we'll promote you and put you in, in charge. Well, they exceeded all expectations because God was on their side. And they put them on a diet of nothing but vegetables and they grew fat like all the, everybody, everybody else. And this is a miraculous event in which God protected them and kept them from having to eat things that they didn't morally believe they should be eating according to God's word. And then we see the next story, the one we looked at last week, where Daniel sees this vision. And in this vision, he sees a huge statue. This vision was what the king saw. And the king said, someone interpret this, and if my wise men can't interpret it, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and Daniel said, no, no, don't kill him. God gave me the vision. Let me tell you what he showed me. And in this vision, there's these four parts to this statue. There's a gold head, and then there's other three others of different kinds of metal or Material lowering in value and quality. And finally, another huge stone comes in and boom, blows it up like a bomb. And that stone was uh, symbolic of the coming kingdom of God that came when Jesus came into this earth. And one day, that kingdom is going to grow and dominate the entire earth. And we're still waiting for that to happen. That's a prophecy. While most of that prophecy has been fulfilled, the last part of it is something we're still looking forward to. And so that's kind of the background. They've seen these two amazing, miraculous events. And after that, I believe what has happened in chapter 3 is the king saw the statue, uh, and the king heard that the statue had a head of gold, and Daniel said, that head of gold represents you, king. You're the strongest and most powerful king on earth today. And so he built this statue in the first nine verses, it tells us that he built this statue 90 feet high, nine feet wide, but he made it all gold plated, covering it all with gold. I think what's happening is here, uh, the statue was to say there's going to be a kingdom come after you that will replace you. And then another one will replace that one. And then a fourth one will replace that one. The Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And then finally that fifth rock will replace them all. And I think the king is saying, nope, we're going to make the whole thing gold because I want my kingdom to last forever. And I want you all to bow down to it. And so he tells everyone, including the Hebrew young men, that they all have to bow down before this statue. So, you know, we have to kind of go back into this. I'm not going to read the first nine verses. You can read it later. But what you find is that he's built this statue. This thing probably took months and he's called in everyone from around the uh, Babylonian Empire, just the travel alone from the first day that they received word. By the way, it would have taken months to get the word to them from the farthest parts of the empire. and then more months to get back. So this could have been at least half a year from the beginning of the building until this huge ceremony. And he gets them all together. And then it says that he organizes this huge orchestra. And, you know, because they would be verbally sharing this story with one another instead of writing it down and reading it, it was done in such a way that it would be easy to memorize. So you get this repetition. And they repeat even the different pieces of the orchestra repeatedly over and over again. Chances are that would have been like a chorus that everyone would start chanting together. And this huge orchestra with this huge statue that's been built a little bit south of the main capital city of Babylon. And the huge number of people are out there. And they're all told, look, when you hear this music play, bow down. Finally has this big, huge event. So look at verse 7 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, so at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans, remember that name, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. That's how they, you know, sort of like long live the king in our day uh, in England. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain jews whom you have set over the affairs and provinces of babylon by the way the most important post of all of these wise men would have been to have them in babylon the most trusted the most well-liked uh, the ones that prove themselves the most worthy would be posted in babylon he's and these chaldeans who by the way are of the same nationality as the king So they probably thought, we should have gotten the Babylonian post, and yet you gave it to these three guys. They're jealous. He says, you have said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So these Chaldeans, these countrymen of King Nebuchadnezzar, They've probably been watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've kind of been lying in wait, looking to pounce. You know, like our political uh, system is today. The minute one guy says something just slightly off, you mispronounce a Southeastern Asian country, and man, they make a big deal out of it, right? Uh, You say one thing that might sound a little bit racist, and then it's the news cycle for the next three days. And that's what they were doing. They were looking for it. And when they saw, oh, 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 he hasn't bowed down. And then they get their faces like, oh, let's act angry. When inside, they're going, yes, we got him, yes. But they go to the king, oh, long live the king. Those dudes aren't doing what you told them to do. And you said, if you don't bow down, you have to kill him. And so, oh, we really don't, yes, we really don't think you should kill him. But, you know, you said you should. So look at verse 12. They set these guys up. I think they did it because of their jealousy. It says, they do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now often, the source of opposition that we face is people who are jealous of our blessings. You might look at your life and say, well, I don't have that much. But someone else is looking at your life and they're jealous because they don't have what you enjoy. Maybe they don't have a wonderful spouse that loves them and takes care of them. They get jealous. Maybe they thought they deserved that job at work that you got instead of them. And so they're jealous. Maybe they can't afford the nice house or the nice car or the nice clothes or whatever it is that you have, and they begin to get jealous. And you know, some folks, when they let jealousy grab hold of them and fester, it gets so strong that they're willing to do anything to hurt you because they think you deserve punishment because I should have what you have. And I think that's what's going on here. I think this is exactly what's happening. These men had this special post It would be like being stationed in the West Wing instead of being appointed the ambassador to Cameroon, some faraway place. And they're jealous. But look at verse 13. Look how the king reacts. You can imagine how he would react. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before him. Now, as we read this, it sounds like, boy, that must have happened quick, right? Like instantaneous. But I want you to understand something. When you see the king and his behavior, I think he had some time to cool down. Because it says in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So the king asks this. Is it true? uh, Maybe he's thinking these guys are jealous. Maybe he knows they're jealous. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can come in and say, no, they're lying to you. Of course we bowed down. And so he says, well, let's just do this. They didn't say that, by the way, but he's hoping they'll say that. And so in his mind, he's thinking, I know, I'll just replay the orchestra. You know, let's have an encore. And when they play it again, everybody bow down. It'll be fine. And so he says, do it again, just bow again. And I bet in his mind, he's thinking, hey, this is the statue from the vision from your God. You should be bowing to this. It's kind of like bowing for your God. But what is one thing that every good Jewish person has been taught? And by the way, every Christian ought to know. Thou shalt bow before no other gods. Thou shalt not bow down to any craven or graven images. In other words, this is two of the big ten that he's asking them to violate. So he says, here's the plan. I'll give the order. You play the mu- I'll play the music. And then bow down and we can all go have supper and laugh about all of this. Reminds us of the consequences that we face today. When we try to live out a life that is obedient to the Lord, that we follow the Lord, people say, no, you don't want to do that. Just be like us and the pressure. And look at the answer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. In this matter, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. You know, we sing a lot about amazing grace. Sometimes I wish we sang a little bit more about amazing faith. The amazing grace of God is what gives us the amazing faith. God bestows that upon you, and he bestowed it upon them. Not enough people respond with amazing faith to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they responded with amazing faith. Because look what they said. I want us to see what they said to him. There's two things that they said. One was, after the king just said, what God could save you from this? He's just seen two pretty incredible miracles. He's already pretty impressed himself with Yahweh. I mean, you know, he kept you fat when you didn't have to be or when you shouldn't have been. And uh, he gave you guys the the vision, or at least he gave your, your friend Daniel the vision when no one else could do it. But not even your God. Can save you from the fiery furnace. What's this fiery furnace that he has? Well, um, I think there's an image, my great artwork, that Marie's gonna find. I'm probably putting it out of order. That's beautiful, isn't it? Aren't I a great artist? Look, I couldn't find this image. I saw it described. I don't know, it almost looks like a pregnant pig or he's about to give birth to a fire. But just the flat line is the land, okay? And what they would do is they dug down into the land. And you can see there's kind of like a a place there that's a little bit higher than the lower part where the fire is. They'd throw the wood in from the back hole, you know, where the smoke is coming out. And they'd start this fiery furnace. And then they would lower the vats of gold. And it would get hot enough that the gold would melt. And they could then take it out. And they could fashion it on this statue. It was gold-plated, not solid gold. Everything was gold-plated. Even the temple, they say such and such was made out of gold, but you read the description in Leviticus, and it was gold-plated. And so that's the fiery furnace. That's why it's big enough for you to throw guys into it. Okay, this isn't like your oven in the kitchen. (laughs) Uh, This thing's huge. And they'd have a smokestack coming out of the top. And so that's the fiery furnace that they're talking about here. Not even your God can protect you from this thing. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said two different things. First, they said, my God can do it. My God can save us, even from your fiery furnace, king. That's right. He has the power to do that. That's not that hard for him. After all, in their minds, they're thinking, you know, my God can speak worlds into existence. Certainly, he can protect us from some fire, no matter how hot it is. And by the way, I want you to know something. God can protect you from the fire. There is a destiny for every person who does not put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And he can protect you from that destiny, that fiery furnace of hell. That was not fashioned or created for you or me. It was made to uh, punish Satan and his demons. But you might choose to follow them into that devastation. But he can protect you if you'll just ask forgiveness. Put your faith in him, and he will protect you from it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had such amazing faith that not only did they say God can save us, but even if God chooses not to save us, we still won't disobey. That is the amazing faith. Remember our friend Brian Sternberg that I mentioned earlier, the Olympic pole vaulter I told you about. A year after his accident, he was asked to write an article for a magazine called Look Magazine. Not a Christian one, just a secular. In that article that he wrote about how his faith has helped him get him through this last year, he was writing about it, saying that faith is what's kept him going. And he wrote this, having faith is a necessary step toward one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind, if healing does not come, is the other. Either one will suffice. That is the amazing faith that we learn from Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is the amazing faith that they put on display, the amazing faith that this Pole vaulter put on display. The amazing faith that God will reward in you if you can muster it up by saying, God, help me, I struggle with my faith, but will you please strengthen it and give it to me? That was the attitude of the three. God may heal us, God may not heal us, but God is with us. And that's true for you today. Too many people feel entitled, God owes me. Oh, after all, I gave my life to him. And it's almost as if I think I'm so great that when I gave my life to God, he should go, whoa, look, Kevin's one of mine. I'm going to do anything he asks of me. And sometimes I get a little frustrated when he doesn't give me what I want. Like a little petulant child. I want candy, mommy. No, candy's not good before supper. I want candy. That's the way we look sometimes to God. But in his loving grace... He looks down on that and he says, I understand you're not strong enough, but if you'll just rely on me, I'll give you that faith. You may not be able to muster it yourself, but my Holy Spirit in you will strengthen your faith. Just pray and seek it out and obey me and I'll give you the strength and the faith to get through whatever you're facing. And we see this attitude of, Entitlement on display today in our culture so desperately. American owes me, America owes me an education. They owe me wealth. They owe me power. I should be able to say whatever we should do. And a lot of people feel that way. But you know, it's even worse when we're doing that to a God who created us. If I don't get what I want, I'm going to break stuff up. I'm out of here. I'm going to wreck the lives of people around me. Too many Christians act that way with God. We don't get what we want. Then I'm going to tear down his church. I'm going to tear down God. I'm going to tear down Christianity by going around and talking about how horrible and miserable it is. The people who hate God, who hate the Christian church today, are usually the people who didn't have this amazing faith because they didn't really trust the Lord. They didn't submit to God and say, even if you don't heal me, I'll still believe. And so we see their punishment for their amazing faith. Not punishment from God, but punishment that came from King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that, the heat, that, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, I don't know how hot that was. We don't have the exact figures and numbers. But figure, what does it take to melt gold and multiply that by seven times? I mean, they were shoveling fuel into the back end of that furnace like crazy. And it had been just built somewhere near this statue because that's where they would have built it, near the statue in order to build it. They were absolutely heating this thing up. In verse 20, it says, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These mighty men of valor, they're not ordinary soldiers. He said, I want the elite guard. This would be like getting SEAL Team 6 to go do the job. I don't know what he was afraid of. They just already said, you know, we're in submission to you. But I almost wonder if he was afraid, maybe my God isn't strong as their God, and maybe my God won't let me, or maybe their God won't let my God put him in the furnace. So he got the strongest people he could to capture him and put him in the furnace. And in verse 21, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And that was that. Or at least that's what King Nebuchadnezzar probably thought. Anyone who's ever heard this story knows that's not the end. But put yourself in his shoes. I wonder what he thought in that moment. I bet he kind of got up a little close. We find out he watched. He wanted to see the results of this punishment. I think he thought of it like some kind of big show. Oh, we're going to see them burn. And I want everybody out here to see them burn so that no one will ever even consider doing what they've done today. But in verse 24, then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to, this, to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the furnace or into the midst of the fire? He just saw his elite guards, his elite troops, the best of the best, burned up. And he threw these men in there thinking they're going to burn up almost instantly. But look what it says at the end of verse 24. They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Of course, he had said, isn't the the moon made out of uh, purple milk? Yes, true, my king. But in verse 25, look, he answered, "I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. and the form of the fourth, it's like the Son of God." That phrase, "Son of God," is a key phrase. Remember that a large portion of the book of Daniel was written in Aramaic. And that phrase is absolutely in Aramaic, a term meaning he's divine. He's not just the son of God. He is God walking around. In verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps and the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. Now, I know many of you have ever probably been to a a campfire, right? You ever been to a campfire, sat around it for a while? What usually happens? When you're around a campfire, and then you leave, go home, or get in your tent, you smell like smoke. (laughs) That's happened to me many a time. I can remember going to bonfires, our church youth group, after camp week, the Saturday night, our our association would gather all the youth from the church, and we'd go to this one camp. In fact, it was a week ago, uh, a few days ago this week, that I got saved at that camp, August 4th, 1980. And then we'd all go to this campfire down at the, uh, the beach near Lake Michigan. You know, and they had this bonfire and they built that thing way up. As a 10 year old boy or 12 year old boy, when I would go to those, it seemed like that thing was as high as this building. I'm sure it really wasn't, but you know, when you're younger, things look bigger. And uh, we'd come home and my sisters and I would always smell. My mom would have to take our clothes and wash them. You've been there, you've done that. Not these guys. Didn't smell a thing like smoke. In fact, their, their clothes, which should have ignited almost instantly, didn't even seem to be touched. I mean, you know, what would you do if you had been invited to the biggest ceremonial event in the kingdom in years? You'd dress up. They probably had on the best of the best they were in the king's uh, royal court in babylon they probably had some pretty fine duds to put on and they dressed up in them i'm betting and they looked just as good as the day the tailor first made them and they come walking out not even the hairs on their head are singed remember in college i went, had an apartment for one summer and i had a pilot light on my stove in that apartment I'm the only one in there, and I turned on the gas and made the mistake of turning on the gas, turning around for a minute or so looking for the matches, and I turned around and lit that match, and whoosh, eyebrows gone, <laughs> hair, I think that's why it started receding, because it was like back to here, almost, not quite, but I remember like feeling the hair around here, and it was crusty, pulling it off, and boy did it stink, you ever smelled burned? It's nasty. I mean, that was just an instantaneous secondary fire there in this thing probably for minutes and nothing. And why? It was that fourth person. The son of God came down to earth and protected them. And the message of this story is a simple message that still holds true today. Our fate is entirely in God's hands. Our future, our protection, our destiny, our eternity, our success in this life, everything is in God's hands. John Piper wrote a book called Coronavirus and Christ. He wrote it early this year when it first blew up and put it out pretty quickly. And I just finished reading it. I started reading it then and kind of set it down for a while and I just finished it this week. And he argues in that book that that God is doing six different things potentially through the coronavirus. He says, I don't imagine to know the mind of God, but here are six things the Bible teaches that he could be doing through the coronavirus. One is God is showing us what sin does when it's punished by God. He says it's very possible he wants people to learn that lesson because they have sin in their lives and they need to repent. And so he shows us what it could look like. Second, he might be sending judgment on sin. It might be the actual punishment. He's not just saying a warning, repent, or this is what could happen. He's saying, you didn't repent and I'm going to do something to now punish. Third, It's very likely that God is trying to awake the church prior to the second coming of Christ. I believe that wholeheartedly. Is the church waking up? Fourth, the call to repentance and return to Christ can be seen in it. I think at the very beginning, it felt like there were people starting to do that. And I'm afraid that not enough people stayed in that stance of response. And it could be a call for God to, saying that we should overcome our church self-pity, our self-pity as Christians, and to start stepping out in faith and encourage and try new things and do new things because everything in the church kind of got shut down and we had to say, let's do something different. We've been trying it the same way for years and it's killing the church. And then we started doing new things. And maybe we need to do some even more new things. And then the fourth one or the sixth one he said was to, the call to reach the nation. Now I share all of that. That's actually sort of an aside because I want to get to what matters for this message. There's a lot there. We'll have time to go through all of that. Go get a copy of it. It's free. You can find it all over the place. But he said something that really stood out in that book. and let me quote it for you. The same sovereignty that could stop the coronavirus yet doesn't is the very sovereignty that sustains the soul in it. Read that again for yourself. Think about that for a second. God is sovereign. Like that, he could stop the coronavirus. But until now, he's chosen not to do it. It's that same sovereignty that gives him the power to either start it or stop it on a moment's notice that also gives him the power to bring you and me through it. Through the coronavirus, through a fiery furnace, through church persecution, through family squabbles, through a financial crisis, through a health scare, through all of it, God can bring you through. And it takes amazing faith To say, Lord, you can heal me, but you might not. I don't have any understanding that I think you have to heal me. I know this. What God taught Job. And we see it in Job 1.21. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was my mother's favorite verse. And it said, amazing faith. Will you submit to the Lord in that way? Will you make that your personal commitment to Christ, to God today? Lord, you may fix my marriage. You may fix my faith or, or, or my, uh, my health. You, you may fix whatever problem or ever crisis or whatever's going on. Lord, you may choose to fix my country. Uh, you may choose to fix things in this election. Whatever it is that you're most concerned about today. Understand this, God may not fix any of it. Because in His sovereignty, He might say, It's better for you to walk through it with me than to not go through it at all. And that takes amazing faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, as we look at the last part of this chapter, let me read it real quickly, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, the word angel means messenger, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and have frustrated the king's word. He's saying he even frustrated me, the most powerful king, and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You hear that? He's celebrating that God did this for them. Now that's amazing faith. When your faith affects the people who are trying to persecute you in a way that they start to now proclaim. The goodness of your God. In Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Those poor Chaldeans, (laughs) trying to mess them up trying to ruin their lives. And what happened? They were just faithful and obedient and God blessed them and they got even more powerful. Isn't that the way God can work sometimes? But understand this. It's not a king who blesses you. This king probably believes he's the one who blessed them. It's our God who controls because he is king of kings. He is in control of all things. And the amazing faith of God glorifies, or the amazing faith that we have brings glory to God when we are obedient to him, when we obey, when we submit to him. These men served the Lord and God protected them and it brought God even more glory. That's what your life and my life could do. We could bring God even more glory. Brian Sternberger had that same opportunity. Brian Sternberg was this Olympic pole vaulter we've been talking about. Philip Yancey said that many years later, when he was an older person, he went to visit Brian, 10 years after the accident. He said when he visited him, things had changed. He said he still believed that God could heal him, but he had been convinced by some well-meaning Christian friends that God absolutely would heal him. They told him that if he only believed, if he only had enough faith, God would heal him. And so he began to feel this way and he began to pray and he began to get actually a little bit dejected because he felt like he was the one failing because God wasn't healing. You see, before he had these two options. He said, God may heal me and if he does, he's worthy of glory or God may not heal me and in that case still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Philip Yancey said when he left Brian's house, he sensed that he was uncomfortable with this new faith. He struggled to understand that new attitude. He once had applied the concept of Daniel perfectly. Heal me, don't heal me. It's all up to you, Lord. I just want to obey you. And I just want to love you. And I just want to live for you. And I just want to bring glory to you. Do whatever you want. See, having faith is a necessary step Toward one of two things. Brian Sternberg wrote the year after his accident. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind if healing doesn't come is the other. Either one will suffice. I want you to remember something. Where you are, what you face in this world today. If that's your attitude, then you can bring up glory and honor to God. Some people say my faith isn't strong enough and if I don't think God will heal every person who's sick, that's just not true. God doesn't heal every person who's sick. Some people die. Some people stay sick. Oh, if, if, God, if you really believed God, you'd get rich. Biggest lie in the world. The Bible teaches against that over and over again. Don't ever believe that. No, sometimes God in his sovereignty says, I want poor people to show the glory of God. I'm going to use your sickness to bring you through it and show the glory of God. And when it's all said and done, I'll bring you to my heaven and I will let you come and see me and I will say to you, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Because you believe no matter what, God is there with you, even through the fiery furnace. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that you are a powerful and awesome God. Lord, we trust you, we believe in you, and I pray that you'd help us to do so. But Lord, I know there might be somebody here today who's struggling with that faith. I know I have. Lord, help them to know that you'll strengthen that faith, that you'll bring them through whatever's going on. Lord, help us to know that you our sovereign. You are in complete control. It's entirely up to you whether you heal us or whether you don't. But Lord, we just submit to you. Lord, here am I. Use me wherever you want me to go. Do whatever you want me to do and remove anything that gets in the way. So Lord Jesus, I pray that that is our commitment, that that is our prayer to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe God has been speaking to you and maybe he's challenging your faith. Do you have that amazing faith? say, well, I I don't have it. I'm really struggling. It's been very hard. God knows that. He wants to give you that faith through his Holy Spirit. So maybe you need to look at your life. Is there anything you need to repent of? Return your commitment to the Lord to the day when you first trusted Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I promise from this day forth, I'll be obedient to you. Because I know you are in complete control of my life. Will you make that commitment? God will bless you. He'll give you that strength. He'll give you that faith. And he'll use you to bring his glory in this life. And then you'll get to see face to face his glory in the next. Folks, it may not be long. It may not be long because we may don't, maybe you and I, one of us, somebody in this room may not have another day. We may not have another year. <laughs> Our world may not have another month. We don't know. But know this that God is in complete control. You can trust in Him. Will you do so? Will you make that commitment today? And if you haven't ever made that decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you do so today? Will you submit to Him for the first time today sincerely, saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin? Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.